Amen. I'm so glad the power is in his blood, not in my efforts, not in my trying, because I fail. How about you? Anybody failed today? Anybody failed today? Anybody said something you shouldn't have said? Everybody, anybody doing thing you did? Now, you're in church now, okay? Some of you need to raise your hands, your toes, your foot, your head. And I did all of it. I failed. I said something. I did something. But we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Amen. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son that cleanses us from all sin. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Where would we be without it? Lord, we're thankful for it tonight. I pray, Lord, tonight as we look to your word, that you would help us, God, that you would teach us, that you would help us to look into your wondrous law, Father. And, Lord, draw closer to you. Pray that you just guide and direct everything that we said, to, said and done tonight, Father, that Jesus Christ would be glorified. Help us, Father, to live as salt and light in this world that is increasingly getting darker and darker. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Tiny. Take your Bible, if you would, tonight and turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, we were there last week. Come back tonight to finish this two-part sermon up. Of course, you can find the first part on YouTube if you'd like to look at it, or Apple or Podbeam, if like to listen to it. We talked about the importance of social justice versus biblical justice. Social justice versus biblical justice. Micah chapter 6 this evening, and look at verse 8. Looked at last week, the biblical understanding of justice. This, this evening, we're going to look at the biblical practice of justice. The biblical practice of justice. Micah 6, 8. It show thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Father, we thank you, God, for your mercy. We thank you for all that you've given to us. Lord, we live in this world, and I pray, Lord, while we live here, that you certainly would help us, Lord, to do justly, uh, to walk humbly with our God. Father, without those important elements in our life, Father, it's impossible to be good citizens, or we should be good Christians. We should be the best citizens of the United States if possible. We should people be men and women who love one another. We should love as husbands love our wives, wives love their husbands, husbands and wives love their children. We should be good employers and good employees. Oh God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to live for you in a place, in a, in a, in a, in a region sometimes that is dark and going to get darker. Pray, God, you'd help us, Lord, to live the truths of, the, of Christian life, not just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, but live them practically out in our communities and in our homes. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at the, at, at the justice God demands of his commands, his people to show. We looked at some of the counterfeit forms of justice, commonly, commonly labeled as social justice. As we come kind of first full circle on this topic, we want to ask, how can Christians promote justice in this world? <clears throat> how can we promote justice in this world? In other words, if social justice cannot provide the answers to all our world's needs, if doing justly is, is not about condoning ungodly lifestyles, advancing a victimization mentality, or, or justice to this world. 
to regain some context, we look at last week and some of the verses from last week we studied. We mentioned the difference between social justice and biblical justice, the biblical justice, the social, uh, social justice, whereas social justice ideologies place blame on a collective group of people, sometimes for their transgression of their ancestors. Biblical justice focuses on the responsibility of the individual before God. We talked about that's a very important difference. Social justice says because of what happened to us in a past, what the transgressions of the past, some 300, 400, 500, thousands of years ago in the past, they blame those things. And basically because of things in the past, they are the way they are today. Biblical justice doesn't put those, that emphasis on the groups. It puts it on individuals. And each of us, because each of us individually, not as collective group, not as Americans, not as Baptists, not as a family member, as individuals, each one of us will individually stand before the Jesus Christ, or stand before Jesus Christ. We have to recognize that. We talked also, obviously, that Israel as a people went through difficulties, went through cycles of sin. There were certain punishments because of their their choices and consequences for their choices as a group. But ultimately, each one of us has given our account before God. Each one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ as Christians. And as, as I answered that question this, this, this afternoon out uh, in the foyer, the judgment seat of Christ is not where we're going to pay for our sins, but we were rewarded. Like oftentimes at the end of a school year, there'll be a banquet uh, for a school and, and those who those who went out for sports were rewarded with a trophy for sports or a trophy for music. Those who did many things were rewarded because of their works. And same, it will be in heaven. Those who did more for Christ, who lived for Christ, who served Christ, who witnessed for Christ, who were faithful to Christ, will receive wars, I believe, crowns that will eventually get to collect and cast at the feet of Jesus. But again, it's not a time of punishment before sin, but it's a time of rewards. So, of course, this is, this is Mike, and he's talking to a people that have, they have turned their back against God. They're, they've turned their back against truth. And I also mentioned last week that Micah's contemporary of Isaiah. We read in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14, For the judgment is turned away backward, justice standeth far off. For truth is falling in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that de departed from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it and displeased him. There was no judgment. Isn't that how it is today, that truth is falling in the street? Yeah. Where can you find truth? You search high, high and far for truth, and even the places where you've once looked for truth, you can't find that truth anymore. Because a lot of times truth is peddled out. It's sold. And the only truth that you can depend on 100% is the truth that you find in the Word of God. That is sure truth. I have lots of books, lots of books in my library, more than my wife wished I had, trust me. And more at home, but she wished I didn't have those either. But in every one of those books, except for this book, there's lots of truth. But truth is like pieces of chicken. You eat the meat and throw away the bones. And so it is in so many arenas of life. Sometimes there's more bones than meat. You ever had a piece of, piece of fish that was more bones than meat? You spent your whole time picking out the picking out the bones and you wish you never had that piece of catfish brother and by the way i recommend it down there at northwest grill he said so <laughs> 
So during this time, the prophet Micah cries to his people to turn back to God. He calls them to remember the goodness of God to them and have an appropriate response to that goodness. And in verse 8, which we just read, there's laid out a, a simple instructions for the ways of God that wanted him to relate to each other. It says to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So last week, we looked primarily at the first three of these, talking about doing justly. We started with a biblical framework to justice, noting three important truths. Again, this is just background information from last week. First, God is in the habitation of justice. Justice is essential to his nature. God is just. We live in a society that's not just. <laughs> you, if you listen to any court cases, you'll see people who should have gone to jail, but uh, they did not, and you see people who did not go to jail, and they did. Why? Because they're judged by people that are imperfect. We have an imperfect society. We have a we we are led by imperfect people, and as long as they're imperfect, we're imperfect. We're going. There's going to be imperfect justice. You you know as well as I do, and some of you have been in the situation where you were going down the road and the person ahead of you was speeding faster than you, and you got pulled over. Oh, that never happens, right? I mean, that never happens. Yeah, I've told you my story about Waldo. Those of you who didn't hear it, I was going to Waldo several years ago on, on uh, getting ready to celebrate a little time of getting away and vacation with my family, which I always did because we had a, always had a big event on uh, the 4th of July. So the 4th of July, right after our big event of passing out tracks and a parade in San Carlos Park in Fort Myers, I, we gather up the kids. We'd head towards South Carolina or Kentucky. We're heading towards South Carolina, cutting across 301 in Waldo, going real slow. It's midnight. It's midnight. I'm thinking, well, nothing, everything's good. Everybody's quiet. But for some reason, there's cars on the road. And I pass this police officer on the side of the road that's pulled someone over. And I think to myself, that's kind of strange. I slow down. The speed limit's like 30 miles an hour. I'm going like 20 miles an hour. I'm going. All of a sudden, I see blue lights behind me. I'm thinking to myself, what's this? I know I'm not speeding. I know I'm not speeding. Officer comes, says, get out of the car. I get out of the car. He said, you're following the car in front of you too close. I said, what? He said, you're following the car in front of you too close. I said, I've been driving for all these years. I've never heard of that. I know it's a law. I know it's a law, but I've never been even heard of anybody being pulled over. But I didn't understand Waldo. I do now. I do now. I do now. Was there corruption going on? In Waldo, yes, there was. There's, a, there's an injustice. But dear friend, God is always just. Because he judges righteously. He knows the thoughts, the intents. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows it all. A judge or a police officer can only judge what they see, the evidence they have in, in front of them at the time. So they make, they make errors in their judgment. Anyone who does anything professionally are going to fail at it from time to time because it is our nature as human beings to fail. We're going to fail. You just hope they don't fail on your day, right? <laughs> when you're driving down the road. 
So first, God is the habitation of justice. Justice is essential to his nature. Secondly, God desires for his people to exhibit justice in the way that they live. And thirdly, each of us is directly responsible to God for the way we live and the actions that we, we perform before others. We have responsibility as believers. That we, as I mentioned, even in my prayer, that we should, that we should by the grace of God, choose to do right. That, as I mentioned last week, we should be the best employers, employees in the, in the state, in the city, in the county. We should be people who choose to do right. We should be people who show up and work on time. Amen? Who stayed later, not the person who's always watching the clock. We should be people who's not always gossiping around the water cooler about the troubles and woes of their boss, but are trying to encourage one another. Instead of barking and listening to all the troubles of the world, we should be exhorting people on how to live and to, do, and to live right. That's how we should be lived. Husbands, we as husbands should be providing for our families. You know, the Bible says, if, man, if you don't provide for your own, the Bible says that you're worse than an infidel. I know good men of God who, when they passed away, didn't take care of their family. They didn't take care of their own. Men, if you were to die right now, do you have something to take care of for your wife and kids? Do you? Well, shouldn't we take care of our, the Bible says, our children and our children's children? Do you have a life insurance policy? Do you have something? Now, you said, preacher, you done started, you started, you quit preaching, started meddling. I'm trying to help you, ladies. You better say amen. I don't want you to be calling me the day after your husband died and said, preacher, I guess I guess I guess I go go fund me. No, your husband should have said, go work me. Men, even if you have to work two jobs, work two jobs, but provide for your for your house. Provide for your house. What if you have to do? And if you can't work in this society, dear friend, you just don't want to work. There are more jobs you can shake a stick at. You just don't want to work. You're just plain out lazy. There's jobs to be worked. But I see, I hear about people, even Christian men, they're not taking care of their homes, not taking care of their families. That ought not, different, that ought not to be. You ought not to be derelict of your responsibilities. We have a responsibility, and men and women, to live right, to do justly. <clears throat> Let me keep on going. I want to stay there for a while, but I better keep on going. So what does the Bible say? If we, as, we, as we look at these rest of the part of this verse, not only are we to live justly, we're supposed to love mercy. You love mercy. Think about the merciful ways in which God displays his justice. In the passages we studied, this is last week, we saw that God's justice is used to deliver the poor, help the oppressed, care for the, the orphan. God's justice is carried out through his mercy. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Aren't you glad he's slow to anger in your life? Aren't you glad that he, you, you don't just go, oops, and God says, oops. That's how the world portrays God. That he's an old man with a gray beard. He has a big old stick, and every time you do something wrong, he just whaps you upside the head. If that, would, if that was true, I would have no head. Because I oops about many times a day. <laughs> Just ask the Kentucky lady. She knows. <laughs> I'm always oopsing. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? 
Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Aren't you glad that you can confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness that you didn't sin one time last week and, you, and he didn't say to you, well, you've sinned 400, 300, 425 times. That's enough. You can't do it no more. You're done in that area. Oh, I'm so glad for his mercy. As much as we cry out for justice in our world, sometimes we would actually prefer mercy. I heard a story of a young lady who hired a photographer to take headshots for her. But she was enraged once she saw the picture. She called the photographer and said, Sir, this is not right. You've done, you've done me no justice. The photographer calmly responded, Ma'am, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes you need mercy. <laughs> Once we understand that justice is, we don't always want it. Do you really want justice? Oh, we want justice and everybody else. Around. Oh, they didn't do what they're supposed to do. I want justice, 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 justice. Oh, but are you hard on yourself? Are you just as hard on, other, on yourself as you are hard on other people? Oh, that person, he ran the red light, and you go into a tirade. You do the same thing and hope your wife don't see. You spend money. Like you, like you have it. You, you, you pay your credit card, 25% interest, and you still say, well, I, you know, I, you make excuses for your purchase. And you say, I want justice. No, dear friend, we don't want justice. We want mercy. We want mercy. Where will we be without the mercy of God? Without the mercy of God, none of us will be in this room this morning. Without the mercy of God, we, what we deserve, we deserve hell. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell. I listened to a conversation this last week. I listen to sports talk sometimes and I listen to a conversation. This, this soccer coach, he talked about his family. He's from Ukraine. His family is over in the Ukraine. He said, I did not hear from my wife and kids for like 10 days. They were in a bomb shelter. And he talked about, he kept on saying, I'm so thankful to God. I'm so thankful to God. And he just kept repeating it. This was a public sports program. He kept saying, I'm so thankful to God. I'm so thankful to God. He said it almost repeatedly. And I kept thinking, I don't know if this guy is saved or not, but he's thanking God. He's thanking God, even though his family is in a different country and they could be dying. He does not know. He did not know at the time that they were dead or alive. He did not know. No but he was thanking God. Could you thank, your, thank, could you thank God in those circumstances? I asked myself, could I thank God in those circumstances? If I didn't know if my family was alive or dead, captured, healthy, alive, didn't know anything, could I thank God? Do you wake up in the morning complaining or do you wake up in the morning praising God for what you have? Oh, dear friend, count your blessings, name them one by one. Get up in the morning and praise God that you have another day to live. Another opportunity to serve him. Be thankful. Be grateful. I heard a story about the German students who volunteered to go to England after World War II ended. In the effort to heal the rift between the two nations, they planned to help restore an English cathedral that had been greatly damaged by German bombs during the Blitz. One of the items they worked on the most was a statue of Jesus with his arms spread out wide that bore the inscription, Come unto me. They were, they were able to repair most of the damage, but they... With great difficulty, they had great difficulty with the hands. After talking over with the church officials, they decided to leave the hands off the statue. 
and change the description to read, Christ has no hands but ours. How can, we how can Christ's mercy be shown? We show Christ's mercy to others. Do you show Christ's mercy? Do you love mercy? Do you stand with mercy? God calls His people to stand with mercy and to use mercy as they exercise judgment. You want mercy? Bestow mercy to other people. Christian churches should be, should be places where all people, whether children or adults, have experienced abuse or betrayal, can go and hear that God loves them and Jesus died for them. Of all places in the world, people should be able to come to the church and receive mercy. Because we've all received, everyone in this room has received mercy. And if people can't find mercy in this place, where can they find mercy? Can they find mercy out there? There's no mercy out there. It's dog-eat-dog dog out there. It's dog-eat-dog. But in here, we should have mercy, no matter what they look like. Amen? Not everybody's going to come in this church dressed with coat and tie and shirt. Not everybody's going to understand what an independent, fundamental Baptist man or woman is supposed to look like. They're not going to grasp it. But can we show mercy if they don't look like it? Can, can, we, can we do that? Can we look past we get so consumed with the outward. I'm not saying outward doesn't matter. But dear friends, I think sometimes we get so consumed with the outward that we don't see the inward. Man, where were you? <laughs> Man, I remember when I first came to church. Man, all I had was a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. They could have looked at me and said, you ragtag, old redneck. What are you doing here? And if they'd have said it, I'd be in hell right now. I don't know, you're supposed to say, preacher, don't you? I'm not saying we don't have standards. I'm, I'm not saying we don't dress right. But I'm saying for the individual who doesn't know better, shouldn't we treat them with mercy and kindness and compassion and care? How should we, how should we treat other people? You want to treat people the way, the way that you want to be treated yourself, right? Show people mercy. Show people mercy. You mentioned a couple weeks ago, we stand with mercy. We, men's, we stand against racism. We stand against it. We stand against it. Now, some people, some people call you a racist just because you disagree with them. No, you're not a racist just because you disagree with them politically. Racism, when you judge a people or a person by the color of their skin or their language and don't realize who they actually are. I think their character, right, is, more, is what's important. Their conduct is what's important. It's more important than the color of their skin. Standing with mercy includes Standing for the life of the unborn, and we talked about that. Standing with mercy involves ministering those who have less, the homeless. I'm not talking about people who can work but choose not to work, but those who are actually without a place to stay and they're stuck in a difficult situation. The abandoned child, the single parent. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 5, but if a man be just and, and do that which is lawful and right and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge and has spoiled none by violence, and hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with garment, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. The injustice of evil are many, but the mercies of God should shine brightly through Christians who mercifully do justly in the face of evil. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let us love without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one towards another with brotherly love. In honoring, taking from another, 
You see somebody's stuff, oh, that's mine. Finders keepers, no, I'm going to keep it. No, it is to say that in honoring, preferring one another. That's how we're supposed to live. So in mercy, we stand with mercy. Not only that, we stand with the gospel. As people who've received great mercy of God, we must in turn show mercy to others who are without Christ. The greatest way we can show mercy is by telling other people about Jesus. Because you and I have been forgiven. There should, be, there should not be one person that you're not willing to go to, no matter how bad that neighbor is across the street. No matter what they've said to you, no matter how they persecuted, that person is a soul, a soul that's going to live forever in heaven and hell. And how dare us not love our neighbor? Oh, their dog may bark too loud. I've done it myself. Oh, their music might be too loud. I've probably done it myself. Oh, their kids are too loud. I've probably been there too. But shouldn't we show them mercy by going to them and inviting them again, again, again to Easter? Oh, if it was you, dear friend, wouldn't you want somebody to knock on your door and say, hey, you know, we're having an Easter service next Sunday. Love to have you. You say, preacher, I've invited them 15 times, invite them 16. Because this time, this time, this time, they may be in a situation in life where they're ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. You don't know what goes on in the hearts of men. You don't see, and I don't see what God is doing behind the scenes. He may be working in their heart, and all these times past, they weren't ready, but now they are. They are. Do you show mercy? Thank God we have a God of mercy. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, but God who's rich in mercy for his great love where he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. So yes, as Christians, we must stand firmly for moral absolutes of God's word, but we should also proclaim the truth, proclaim the truth and help people to know Christ. Because you and I both know people out there in this world who are living for just paste pearls, don't we? They're living for the temporary. They're living for what they can see instead of living for that which is unseen. As I mentioned this morning, Matthew chapter 16, 26, what is profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man exchange, give in exchange for his soul? But dear friends, without the grace of God, that's what we would do too, right? We would live only to gain more and more and more, thinking by gaining more stuff that helps soothe our conscience and we don't have to, do other, th do other things for other people. Oh, dear friend, we need to show mercy. We need to show love and kindness. Yes, we live in a world that, that, that focuses sometimes on, on social justices. But the Paul, the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing of glory for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Are we proclaiming the gospel to other people? who need such mercy. I read a story of a missionary who was once invited to an address a large church in the States for his missionary minute. He was given one minute to share his mission experience. This was in the day, many of you remember, the Iran hostage crisis. And since he had been given just a minute to speak, he wanted to do something that would make an impact. He decided to ask the audience two questions. He started with, how many of you are praying for the 52 American hostages held in Iran? And all the hands went up. They were all praying for them. Then he, he said, now, ask, let me ask you a question. How many of you 
are praying for the 42 million Iranians who are held in hostage of Islam. Four hands went up. Everybody's hands went up when it went to the Americans. They need to be saved. God save them. Help them get out of Iran. But he said, well, how many people of you are held in hostage, are praying for those held in hostage to the, the cult of Islam? And it is a cult. Only four hands went up. Dear friends, shouldn't we care for everybody? Didn't God, didn't God so love the world that he sent his only begotten son, not just to America, but to everybody, to every tribe and nation, to every language, to every person? Amen. Sometimes we're so quick to care about the injustice of this world that we fail to see the cosmic injustice of sin and the spiritual reality of people without Christ. We'd be reminded of the Great Commission to go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, lo, with you always, even to the end of the world. So we should love mercy, but secondly, we should walk humbly. The completeness of God's instruction through the prophet Micah is amazing. We should have humility, first of all, before God. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. Micah chapter 6 and verse 6. We read these words last week. Let's read them again. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for the transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? <laughs> Can we go through any number of outward forms of religion or even caring for people if our hearts are not humbly surrendered to God, if we just go through the motions. You know, think I, I think sometimes as Christians, that sometimes we just go through the motions. I think sometimes, and I sense this as a pastor sometimes, that I think sometimes folks come to the church and they th almost think like they're doing God a favor by showing up. I'm just being transparent to you folks. I'm just being real with you. I see people coming in and they come to me, oh, preacher, we made it. We showed up. What do you want, God, to give you an attaboy? What do you want? You were going to get something out of my desk and give you a biscuit or something? A treat? I'm glad you showed up, brother friend, but you didn't, you didn't have to. You get to. I get to be here just today. There's millions upon millions upon millions of people who would love to hear the preaching of the gospel, who would love to be in an air-conditioned building and comfortable seats to hear the word of God. Dear friend, you don't have to be here. God's not going to stand up. His son's not going to stand up and give you an a, a, applause because you showed up to service on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Be thankful. Be grateful that everything you have. We should be humble. Thank God I'm saved. It's only by the grace of God that you're saved today, friend. You and I did absolutely nothing to earn our salvation. There's thousands, there's hundreds of people on this street, right across the street, who know nothing about Jesus that are on their way to a devil's hell forever. Oh God, thank you for what you've given us. Be grateful, be thankful. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he giveth more grace, where if he said, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Are you humble? Sometimes we just have to choose to humble ourselves. That's not easy, because sometimes we have a false sense of humility, don't we? We think we're being humble when actually we're proud. <laughs> so we have to just choose it. 
Because it is our nature to be proud. It's our nature to be proud. We have to humble ourselves. You know how you, I'll tell you how you humble yourself. The best way to humble yourself is admit you're wrong. You, 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 do you guys do that? Oh, man, it got quiet in here like quick. Do you on a regular basis talk to somebody? Hopefully, you folks who are married actually talk to each other. You say, I was wrong. Do you say that? Okay, all together now. We're going to practice it. Ready? One, two, three. I was wrong. Okay, you said it this week. You don't say it no more. You got it out of your system. You said it. Friends, that should be like a regular thing. If you're not saying the people that you love, your husband, your wife, your kids, the people that you work with on a regular basis, you're wrong. That's just, you're thinking you're right. But there's not a day that you and I don't live that, we, that we're probably done something wrong. Do you go to God on a regular basis and say, God, you know, I shouldn't have said that. God, I had a wrong attitude. Do you go to God every day, probably at the beginning of your day, and just get down your hands and knees or, or wherever is that place that you're spending time with God and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Do you do that? Oh, dear, that, that's humbling. But dear friend, that's what's needed. We get so caught up in what we do. Oh, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. Well, be careful. Really, friend, remember, without God, you didn't do anything. <laughs> With God, God, you, you're not driving. You're not driving here today. You're not seeing. You're not tasting. You're not hearing. You're not eating that catfish. You're not doing anything. It's all God. All that we have, all that we will have, all that we can have is because of God. Humble ourselves. Humble before God. Humble before other people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Throughout history, there's been people, great men and women of God, who've humbled themselves and lived right and righteously before other people. I was reading about John Huss, who lived 1369 uh, through 1415. Through studying the scriptures, Huss, regarded as the forerunner of the Reformation, discovered that salvation is only possible through faith in Christ's payment for sin. With strong biblical conviction, Huss began preaching compelling sermons against work-based salvation. He preached against the heresy of the Roman Catholic Church, and they excommunicated him and later called him before the Council of Constance, Germany, to stand trial. He was sentenced to be burned alive. Burned alive at the stake on July 6, 1450. His executors chained him to the stake and urged him to recant his faith. Huss replied, woe is me, woe is me, I'm so sad, I shouldn't be a Christian. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say what most Christians say in America today, my life is sad, my life is bad, woe is me, woe is me. You know what he said? No, what I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. And he died for Jesus. William Tyndale, I've talked about him a lot, 1494 to 1536. William Tyndale set out with a singular goal to translate the Bible into English. You think that'd be, that, that sounds like a good thing to do, right? Translate the Bible into English. So in 
so that common people could read it for themselves, what God had said. I mean, you think everybody would want that, right? No. The King of England and the state church, however, forbade a translation because it would expose false doctrine preached from the pulpits of English churches. Tyndall spent much of his adult life on the run from the authorities, all the while continuing his translation through exile, cold, hunger. Eventually, Tyndall was betrayed by a supposed friend, apprehended, tried, executed. And just before he died, Tyndale, ever loyal to his country, committed and said, committed to God and prayed, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Four years later, Tyndale's translation was published in England at the king's request. 90% of your King James Bible was translated by William Tyndale. We owe William Tyndale a great debt. Felix Mant came to faith in Christ in Zurich, Switzerland. Through continued study, Mant became a Baptist by conviction. He believed in believers' baptism and, and believed in a, sa a saved church membership. What we believe, right? We believe in believers' baptism. We believe in a saved membership. They called him an anti-Baptist, the title meaning rebaptizer, because the belief in believers' baptism meant it, that, that even those who've been baptized as infants will be baptized by immersion after the profession of faith in Christ. For his belief and his continued preaching and starting Baptist churches throughout Switzerland, he was arrested, imprisoned, and sentenced to death by drowning in the middle of Lake Zurich. He believes the same thing as we believe. He died for his faith. Wow. What examples? What examples? These did not go to their death with clenching fists and angry spirits cursing God and everybody else. No. The Bible tells us we as, we as Christians to speak the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought he not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself became obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. So in the midst of the world who's anger, is angry and hateful, we should be humble and grateful for the mercy that God has extended upon us. And as I close, we should love mercy, walk humbly, and declare Christ's provision, that Christ has provided justice for all. He's provided justice for all. He gives each person an opportunity to be saved. We know the gospel scriptures well. We know the Romans well. As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wage of sin is death. We know those verses. We know Romans 5, 12, wherefore is one man's sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Romans 5, 8, that God committed his love towards us. He demonstrated his love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know that justice has been provided and each person can be saved. And we know that Christ will bring justice to all, not just now, but in our future. Our kingdom is not now. Our utopia is not the United States of America. It does not mean that I don't get involved in what in, in, in local issues. It doesn't mean I don't vote. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I don't pick up a piece of trash and put it in the trash can. 
Doesn't mean I don't care about the environment. Doesn't mean I don't care about our society. Doesn't mean I don't pray for our leaders. Yes, we do all those things, but ultimately we know that with all the reform, we know the destruction of this world is coming. And a better place, a better country, the writer of Hebrews tells us, is coming. So we look for that day where Isaiah tells us, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end for the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We're going to have a better day where the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, will sit upon the throne of David and rule with a rod of iron and he will, ride, ride, he will rule righteously. And we will get to be under his rule. Somebody asked me the other day, what, what city you think you're going to get to rule, Pastor Marty? I said, I just hope I get to rule a bird king. Give me, I'll talk about a bird king. How about some? I don't know who's going to get to rule or reign or do, do all that. That's a lot of mysteries that we don't know about the future. But I know one thing, to the degree that you and I are faithful here, just the degree that we'll get to be used by the faithful one there. That's why we should be faithful here. It was coming a day where the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf also will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf, the young lion, the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. Oh, what a better day's coming. Our hope is not in this place. Our hope is in a better place. Our hope's in a better place. Be thankful, dear friend, for the salvation that you and, I, you and I have in Jesus Christ. Social justice, ah. More importantly, live biblically. Choose each day by the grace of God to live right. Be thankful for the salvation you have in Jesus Christ. I was reading a story, thinking about the song that we sang just, to, just, just this evening at Calvary. I was reading a story written about the life of William R. Newell. He was a young man who grew up as a teenager, and he was a bit rebellious. His, his dad was a pastor, his, and, of course, dad being a pastor, and, of course, pastor's wife, he was struggling in the home, going through a rebellious time. And so uh, this young man was, uh, was, uh, was encouraged to go off to uh, Moody Bible Institute, which R.A. Torrey uh, was the head of at the time. R.A. Torrey received a letter from this concerned uh, parent, pastor in Savannah, Ohio. The, the youngster, William Bill Newell, was causing great uh, mental distress and anguish to, for his parents. He kept getting this, getting letters from this pastor, please take my son, please take my son. Uh, R.A. Torrey thought, well, this is not a reform school. This is a place where we're training pastors, missionaries, Christian workers. But the pastor kept sending letters and kept sending letters. And finally, R.A. Torrey said, I'll let the young man come in. He has to obey. He has to follow all the rules, and at the end of each day, he has to come by my office. And R.A. Torrey wrote about this young man. He was the worst shape he'd ever seen a teenager. He was the most rebellious, most wicked teenager he had ever met. But he gave him an opportunity. He came to school, started going to school, obeying the rules. At the end of the day, he'd come by and see R.A. Torrey. Did it every day. Got a little bit better, got a little bit better, got a little bit better, got a little bit better. Eventually, one day, this young man rushed into R.A. Torrey's office and said, I got saved. I got saved. 
This young man graduated from the school, went back, got his degree, got his master's degree, got his doctorate degree. And he was reminiscing about his life and he was studying the scriptures and he came across two passages, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every way, everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, for his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. And he was thinking about those words. He met the song leader there at Moody Bible Institute. And he was thinking about a tune, and they come up with this song. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. At Calvary, we've received Calvary. May we share Calvary with someone this week. If there are all the weeks we can share it, let it be this week. Let's invite somebody to be where you're sitting next week. Father, thank you, God, for all you've done. Help us, Lord, to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of our prejudice. Forgive us of our hate, our angst. Forgive us, Lord, for being so consumed with our petty problems, consumed with things that do not matter. Oh, God, help us to be grateful, eternally grateful to you who sent your son to die for our sins so we could have everlasting life. Oh, Father, have we just filled our life with complaining about our small problems of our life without seeing the big picture that men and women, as I pray, are dying and going to a devil's hell. Oh God, help us, Lord Jesus, to live for you, not just in this place, but in our homes privately, at our places of work. God, may it come from inside to outside. May we truly choose to make a difference in society because we live biblically. Maybe with head bowed, eyes closed, maybe someone in this room today, God has spoken to your heart. Some way, some shape, some fashion, the Spirit of God through the Word of God has spoken to you. An area of your life that you say, preacher, I need to change. Maybe it's just recognizing your own pride. We all struggle with pride. Maybe it's a lack of mercy. Maybe it's so it's been so easy you to condemn others when you fail to often condemn yourself and ask forgiveness. Whatever issue that God is speaking to you about, would you just say, Lord, help me tonight? God has spoken to my heart, preacher. I, there's areas in my life where I'm failing or area in my life where I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? God has revealed this to me tonight, and I need to change. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest tonight? Anybody be honest tonight? Would you pray for me, preacher? I'm struggling. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? God spoke to me tonight in an area that I need to change. Maybe tonight you don't know Christ is your Savior. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you placed your faith and trust in Him alone. Maybe it's just trusting in a decision or trusting in a prayer where you're not actually trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Dear friend, I beg you tonight, don't put it off. Don't live in doubt. Be sure. 
Be sure that you know Christ as your Savior. Let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken in your heart, the altar's open tonight. Whatever God has spoken to you about, I pray you do business with God. There's a reason and purpose God had me to preach this message. I did not preach it in vain. The Word of God will do its work. Would you obey it tonight? As the music plays...